This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. BT Sport Pods. Hi, welcome to Michael Calvin's Football People. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Miguel Delaney of The Independent. This week's guest is Fulham manager Marco Silva. He acknowledges his debt to Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho in a fascinating, insightful chat. Pep, of course, is on the verge of potentially his most significant achievement. So, John, will Manchester City wrap up the treble that we're all talking about in the next three weeks? Yes, I think they will. In fact, I'd go too far as to say that I think it would be a surprise if they don't, which is really quite saying something, I think. Because, look, I find it impossible to believe that they won't win the Premier League title now. It's all but gone for Arsenal, isn't it? And, and frankly, City can do it by themselves no matter what happens with Arsenal and Forest by beating Chelsea on Sunday. So it's there within their grasp. I think there'll be overwhelming favourites against Inter Milan in the Champions League final next month in Istanbul. But I also think while perhaps the FA Cup final is potentially their hardest game on June the 3rd, and I think it will be such a test because it's the first of its type, the Manchester derby and all all Manchester final against United, then I do think it will be just the passion of it and the sheer sort of kind of rivalry. That will be their biggest test. I just think they're by far and away the best team, aren't they, football-wise? And... The other night, myself and Miguel were both at the game and, I mean, the first 45 minutes was was the best exhibition of football that I've seen under Guardiola, frankly. They were just astonishing, just just unbelievable at times, I thought, and breathtaking the, the way they passed it around and, and sort of the pressure they put. You know, listen, I, we could talk all day and debate about how good Real Madrid are in terms of where they stand in, in recent comparisons, but Madrid do this to us every year. And they sometimes, you know, somehow sort of kind of get a performance and, and victory out of, the, out of the Champions League from absolutely nowhere. And they, they were just given no chance. I mean, they were just completely blown away. It was lucky it was only 2-0 at halftime. So I do think they are currently by far and away the best team in Europe. And it would be a surprise to me, frankly, if, if they don't 
if they don't complete the job and get the job done. Mm, we'll look at some of the broader issues in a little while, Migs, but as a point of football reference, where do we place this City team historically, you know, domestically and globally, if you like? Well, it, it's unlike anything we've ever seen, to be honest, which I suppose feeds in some of the broader questions, but five over six seasons... No one has ever got close. To, I think they've got 80% of all available points. That That's never been seen before. They've never dropped under 80 points. In in the last 14 games of this season, so that's over a third of the campaign, they've been behind for 10 minutes. They've spent multiple <laughs> more times, two or three goals ahead than they have losing. Obviously, throughout this spell as well, they've beaten every single major rival. So that's uh, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Arsenal... Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester United by at least three goals. Obviously, in terms of the wider spell, we're seeing every single record and landmark and feat being blown away, really. You know, the first domestic treble, the first uh, 100-point season. They're going to do three in a row, become only the fifth club to do that of the sixth team. They could well match United in... Uh, Champions League treble and I mean as as Crossy's been saying that just feels now inevitable bar maybe the FA Cup final but that's going to take an awful lot and then we'll be on to kind of the next range of of um, records maybe the first ever four in a row maybe um, retaining the European Cup but up until that in terms of everything else we've seen which and all that sort of dominance as Crossy said there or as he's kind of indicated it really was that first 45 minutes against Real Madrid was the illustration. Of that. I mean, it's basically whatever about how good Real Madrid are. They just took them out of the equation. They absolutely brutalized them. Yeah. And again, had it not been for Thibaut Courtois, we could have been talking about 4-0 at half time, if not worse. So in terms of kind of suppose where we ranked them, I think it's almost, there's nothing like if you want to get to the pure numbers, there's nothing really that compares in terms of the performance it was interesting. There was, there was a moment in the second half where I noticed Ancelotti drumming his fingers against mouth, wide-eyed, not really knowing what to do, it seemed. And and that, that reminded me of Alex Ferguson in the 2011 Champions League final. There's that clip where he was going to just sit, his, his team just completely taken out of it. So I suppose that, that's the level we're talking about. Mm. Are we seeing John Pep at his best here? Because, you know, when we associate City and Pep with the Champions League, traditionally we associate it with overthinking and overplaying. But that's all gone now, isn't it? Yeah, it was quite interesting, wasn't it? That in the pre-match press, you laughed about that and said, don't worry, guys, not this time. That, to me, says a little bit more about his state of mind and how he's much more relaxed. And I think he probably overthinks things when he's feeling ridiculously stressed, which, listen, I'm sure he will be come the final, but it's just levels of stress, I guess. And his overthinking of things and, and sort of kind of destroying of things comes when he feels, oh gosh, do I need to be smarter? Do I need to, in the final, do I need to play without a defensive midfielder of any sort? You know, and just, just get things horribly wrong. But I just think, yeah, you're right. He's in he's in the groove, isn't he? And the thing is that, that City, since that game at Nottingham Forest, when they dropped two points, they've just been in this inescapable moment of form when... They've just blitzed everything. And maybe that 
coming, what, three days after they won so impressively at Arsenal, just focused the minds and thought, right, we can't slip again. Yes, they've had difficult games. I think the Bayern Munich games were probably a harder test in, in, in a way than, than Real Madrid provided, which was quite interesting, really. But the first leg in the Bernabeu was a good game. Please don't get me wrong. I thought going into the other night was, was a 50-50 game. And it just didn't prove to be like that, just because City are on this incredible march at the moment. And it did feel to me, and Guardiola referred to this after the game, that basically, yes, they are angry and they are taking out frustrations of of the past and what's gone on before. Because it feels to me that they think they are the best. They know they are the best and they want to prove beyond any doubt that from a football perspective that they deserve their place in history and, and want to win and kind of repeat what Manchester United did in, in 99 and go down in sort of kind of football folklore, really. It's just a question of how we remember it, isn't it, really? And so from then on, but I do think they are, when you put yourself just purely watching the football, I mean, it's just breathtaking. And I do think they are in such a sweet spot that as long as they don't lose that momentum between now and June the 10th, when it all concludes with the Champions League final, then I, I, I just I just don't see them needing to worry about Guardiola overthinking because he'll just let them play. He, what's really interesting to me is, yes, he's got a few defensive injuries, but in a way, the team picks itself. It's not too often because they've got such strength in depth that we know Man City's first eleven. We definitely do now. We know their first and best eleven, And I think in a way that's so helpful because it, we know that basically if they put their first eleven out and they perform, they will win every game. And that must be sort of kind of reassuring, I think, in a way to Guardiola. Mm. Now, Mix, you've been a busy boy. You did all four legs of those semi-finals. Inter, they await in the final. First meeting between the two clubs. But with respect, ideal opposition in the final? Uh, I think it's probably the most lopsided final since maybe 1989. Milan destroyed Stoya Bucharest. It's hard to think of one in between that. And, I mean, (laughs) if we were in a normal situation where City hadn't been on this run and hadn't run a performance like that, if it was maybe even the City of January or December, I would have gone to those two Milan games and think, at the very least, while City would be favourites... Inter, like I don't think they're a pretty good team in terms of like the manager's idea of football, the focus. But what Simone and Zaghi is good at, and he showed in those semi-finals, is he's a good cup manager, which means he's a good at a system for any given game, and he's also good at extracting a performance out of a few individual players who are actually pretty close to top level or were top level in the past. Among them, Jeco. Skriniar, who didn't even play against Milan, brilliant defender. Bastoni, very good defender. Lukaku looks like he's coming back to something close to his form when he left Inter two years ago. DiMarco's developed into a really good midfielder. Barella, a lot of Premier League clubs want him. And there's enough there that in a one-off game, if a team like City in December, January, had a bad day, you could well see the sort of situation where City have a lot of possession, a lot of chances, and Inter come away and nick something. That, that would be a possibility. As it is now, I think the gap is just too great. I think it'd be one of the shocks in European football history if City were to lose it's asking so much of Inter and we're kind of sort of appealing to 
kind of more nebulous potential factors like whether City run out of momentum given the final is almost a month away. If there's just that kind of that, that not quite lost in form, which is kind of the lack of games and lack of intensity between now and then just removes the level they were at against Real Madrid. Maybe memory of the past final. You can well imagine, though, in this sort of situation, having lost to Chelsea in 2021, having come through all this, you can and, and knowing they're much better than Inter, you can just well see a situation where City again go into this game super focused. And it's just, it's just asking so much for Inter. Which is, because uh, their run has been compelling in its own way. And I, I'm a, okay, they actually quite a forgiving run to the final, or in the knockout stages, given they played two Portuguese teams and the other Milan. And we're lucky they, that Napoli, who had been the revelations of the season, were knocked out by Milan. But the group stage is difficult, knocking out Bayern Munich and Barcelona. Uh, I don't think anyone would have imagined Inter getting to the final then. And right now, I suppose, no one can imagine them beating City. That's for sure. We can imagine a Premier League coronation. John, as you you know alluded to earlier at the Etihad on Sunday, just as a sort of a, a by question, really, you know, isn't it ironic that Chelsea are the opponents now? Their wealth has been wasted due to muddled thinking. Do you know what's the rationale for not confirming Pochettino? You know, the, the only confirmed gig he's got is at Soccer Aid at the moment. Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe that. I mean, it was quite funny actually to see a lot of the Chelsea fan site sort of saying Pochettino confirmed and I think really I wasn't expecting that and then basically you know it's for soccer aid oh dear I just it is bizarre it's clear isn't it that that he's going to be Chelsea's next manager there's no doubt about that and you know listen I do think it's taken a while to thrash out the final agreement we've got this um habit haven't we as journalists to say it's done it's done you know, and basically about transfers, about managers or whatever. <laughs> well, the reality really is, it, you know, it isn't done until they've actually put pen to paper and been announced, if you know what I mean. Because until until that happens, it's not really... But there's no, there's no question he will be Chelsea manager. And it's then just trying to fathom out. Because last weekend, clearly, agreement took place and Chelsea... We're not running away from that story, if I can put it like that, really. That's obvious. And now it is just a question of time and, and timing. And I just, I don't know, it's... I don't know that anyone could possibly have predicted that it would turn out so badly for Chelsea and it would be such a poison chalice for Frank Lampard. So it feels very much as if that's put a spanner in the works. And any intention to kind of announce the new manager to maybe give the players a lift has sort of kind of fallen by the wayside. I think that basically probably the club are sort of concerned about what happens next with the squad and results. And so I do feel as if it feels they've been nervous about the end of the season and how badly it could go. And that's changed the thinking, I think, about sort of naming the manager and... It can't come soon enough for Chelsea. Mm. And it feels like some of the Chelsea players have used the interim manager and the setup now as an excuse, either sort of kind of publicly or, or in their own mindset when they go out to, out to play. And I just probably thinking we can't give them another reason. We can't give them another distraction. And yet in the past, obviously, when, when things like this have happened, and we all know that Frank Lampard is very clearly the interim manager, they've made that absolutely abundantly clear. Sometimes in the past, it has given other teams a lift. 
you know, because they want to impress the new boss. Doesn't feel that, that Chelsea are on that path at the moment. They're absolutely all over the shop. Pochettino is a really good coach, a really good guy. He's done really well before, but his his biggest task, bar none, I think, when he comes in, is to use his diplomatic skills, and he's a good diplomat. He's a very, very good diplomat, very good in the dressing room and building a team spirit, and he's got to fix a broken squad. He's just been left with an absolute mess, and that all comes down to signing too many players, leaving players frustrated, it's the ultimate lesson in bloated squads, unhappy players, disaffected dressing rooms are poisonous throughout a club. Mm-hmm. And that shows you why it's so important to actually have a process and actually have a plan. And at the moment, Chelsea have lost all sight of that. Mm. City, lest we forget, Migs, haven't lost since those 115 Premier League charges, which they didn't deny and dispute were levelled against them. We can agree, can't we, that this is a compelling team, but is it a shame in the way it's been put together and what it represents? Well, well, look, I mean, even... I suppose there's there's two almost separate discussions that both kind of almost come together here. And one is, you know, about the quality of football and the brilliance of Guardiola. But even if you look at what's happened with Guardiola, and he, I mean... Definitely one of the best managers of all time has a fair argument to be the best. And that's all true. That was that was kind of represented by what happened, what's happened for the last five years, five, six years, what happened in the last few months. But that also comes from him being given basically laboratory conditions. It's not just that he's been given a system or a situation or circumstances to suit him. The entire infrastructure of the club was basically built for him. And it's very few, very few clubs can afford to do that. And that comes from around 2010, as City kind of entered, or sorry, the owners entered the second stage of the City project after the initial splurge under the initial football hierarchy, where they basically looked around European football, saw what was the best example. I suppose I remember being described recently to me as looked around at what the apple of football was in terms of the company. And so it was obviously Barcelona. And in the intervening years, they picked off Barcelona's brain trust, again, affording that in a way no one else can do, before you even get to the questions about FFP or the merits of it. And, and, and through that, built up this club for Guardiola. Also, crucially, got Chiqui Bigurastein, who Guardiola felt a loyalty to because of how Bigurastein gave him his break at Barcelona in the first place. At, at, at the and even that comes from the previous stage to that, which is basically, and I mean, if you if you want to stand back, but it is true, a lot of modern football is explained by the fact that because of a, a regional rivalry in the Gulf, and it's remarkable we're talking about things when it comes to football, but we can get into bigger discussions there about football governments and regulation and the game's embrace of whatever money is coming. But that was around the mid-2000s as part of wider diversification, political programs, whatever you want to call it. A group of states, autocratic states in the Gulf, looked at football as an area of expansion and started to buy it up, and including football clubs. That's where we are, and we are seeing the natural end product of that now, which is... And remember, this is in a world with FFP. So imagine if we didn't have it, given what City were doing in 2008 to 2011, given the amount of money PSG have spent in terms of kind of the Neymar transfer. And while it's never to say that it's impossible to compete or that there won't be kind of surprise results or variations. 
what it really does I mean football has been had, had this problem for 40 years but what, what it's done now ha, is it's basically created this financial stretch and this goes right through the pyramid and it's, it's I mean it's why we were having this discussion about a white paper what it's why this has happened because of this exact stretch in the game it's it's basically financially staggered and now at the very top of that before you even get the questions about how much they can spend it's more about because they have absolutely no financial risk because of what they are as states at the very top of that stretching it to uh, to a greater degree than ever before are state clubs it does it doesn't mean they'll always win everything PSG an example but even PSG they're still, they're still getting to they, they haven't they haven't imposed cities intelligence say but you know generally they'll win, they'll win most French titles they'll be there thereabouts in the Champions League and it wouldn't take that much to impose that due to the financial quality and I suppose the key point in that is that if you just feel like for the last 40 years in football every few years fewer clubs can win and this is I mean the very fact we're going to a Champions League final and a club like Inter Milan three Champions League this is their sixth final in all are seen not just that they're seen as underdogs but it's actually seen as a bit of a, a shock that they can get here that's that's a ridiculous situation to me and uh, like it's something that struck me a lot this season at the very elite end of the game it does feel a lot of as predictable a lot of domestic champions City being one of them in terms of the Champions League this season it has felt like as soon as basically City got Bayern Munich and Real Madrid out of the way there's not that many teams that can stop them and especially with so many English clubs having a, a, a bad team the, the top end of the Champions League feels so small smaller than it's ever done before certainly smaller than the 90s or the early 2000s and yet beneath that level you've got the bottom half of the Premier League the Europa League the, the, I mean the EFL the playoffs the last year is incredible it does feel like that's almost the unpredictability that we should be seeing in football but at the top end is uh, is becoming, I think, the cleanest way to describe it is it's being eroded. Yeah. Do you think we're, we're in danger of losing something very precious, John? Because Migs alluded there to the, the EFL playoffs. You know, we're speaking the morning after that incredible Sheffield Wednesday win. And that, I don't know about you, but that took me back to why I actually fell in love with football in the first place. It was just absurdly enjoyable and unpredictable are we are we losing something here yeah i think i think it's really interesting that because listen there's been a few occasions that i've really enjoyed this season and great games hey listen wednesday night i love the first 45 minutes i thought that was fantastic as a football exhibition recently went to newcastle arsenal that was a that was a good game that was a really good occasion and i tell you what getting the train up getting the train back that felt Felt like, you know, that was an enjoyable day out. I know Newcastle fans didn't appreciate it, but actually, coming away from it, Newcastle fans were sort of enthused by it and they really enjoyed it. I think they thought, they don't worry, we're still going to get in the Champions League and, and you know, they enjoyed the footballing occasion. And I think there's been a few occasions, but I tell you what, from a, just a purest football sense, you're right, that Sheffield Wednesday game last night, when 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 the equaliser goes in in the ninety eighth minute, I'm in the office at the at, at, you know, and basically I'm just jumping around the room, <laughs> and then I go in the house and basically watch the 
the, the, the extra time play out. And that's the beauty of football. I'm so flat when Peter... Because, look, I'll be honest here. I interviewed Darren Moore earlier in the season, absolutely loved it, and basically came away from thinking, this is such a nice guy and such a good manager. And, by the way, I don't think it's wrong to say that you can be both because his whole management philosophy is about being actually setting a, a culture and doing that by being a nice guy. So, inextricably linked one to the other. But I think then that you lose... You're right, that, that football is all about that. You can never lose that soul and competitive nature of it. And I felt as if the whole season we've been going through, the neutrals willing Arsenal to win the title. That's how I felt it. 90% of the country want Arsenal to do it because it's upsetting the big beast. And so, so there's that. And then basically Liverpool fans saying, oh, kind of, you know, we did it one year. And basically it'll be five out of six, won't it, for City? And it's, it's, you know, you don't want to lose that competition and that competition edge. I think it's so important. Miguel's done some brilliant work in shining a light. Other journalists too. You have to make sure that this is right. Let's wait and see about the, sort of the outcome of the charges. But everything that City do at the moment feels like it comes with a caveat. And basically an asterisk there. And that's unfair on all sides. On mm. all sides. The neutral, the City fan, the, every every fan. But also, equally, I feel as if we're entering a, into a period which really interests me at the moment, is that Manchester United are up for sale, allegedly. Let's see what happens with that. The United fans have, have gone through the most painful period under the Glazers, a period that they, that they hate and they want to see the back of the Glazers. So you have Jim Ratcliffe on one side saying, OK, I'm going to potentially take over part of the club, keep on board with, with the Glazers. And he's, he's made himself, therefore, unpopular with so many United fans. But what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is then potentially, however it's dressed up, another version of state ownership with, with Sheikh Jassim. You cannot escape that. What it gets me is that if I post or write anything about City's win all on social media, all you get back is from rival fans. Oh, yeah, but what about the charges and what about everything? But within that, and a lot of Man United fans saying that, the same Man United fans who would much rather have that ownership than Ratcliffe and the Glazers. And that's the truth. And I think that's something that we have to be aware of and and keep in our minds because that, that kind of is what what is facing football. And... Fundamentally, we go back to the point, don't we, that you want it to remain competitive. And you, if it's not competitive, you've lost sport and you've lost that, that desire to compete and that desire to actually have two teams that are both capable of winning. And listen, we could argue all day long about Arsenal blowing up. And yes, they probably got themselves to blame with some stupid results. And so, yes, should they be champions? Well, they've only got themselves to blame. Of course, there's an element of that. But there's also an element of, yes, you want it a fair race. Because honestly, if the same team wins it every year, year in, year out, it becomes boring. Mm. And you get wonderful moments like against Real Madrid. But fundamentally, it becomes predictable. And, and that's the last thing we want because football should never be predictable. Sorry, sermon over. <laughs> City, of course, Migs, are not the only... English team in a European final. You know, West Ham are in the Conference League final. You know, David Moyes' first European final in 25 years. I suppose to extend the point, is it time for us not to be sniffy about a competition like the Conference League? Because we can't complain about 
elitism while being, you know, on the other hand, ridiculing a competition like this, which is, you know, going to be the highlight, you know, a generational highlight for West Ham. Yeah, and it's, I mean, again, there's a few kind of levels to this. I mean, first of all, against the sort of like um, brutal, <laughs> the kind of the perfection that City reached say, against Madrid, there's been something ragged about West Ham's run, especially given where they've been in the season. It's been quite old-fashioned in that sense. I also like the way, a good element of the story is the way David Moyes has basically defied a season where while it doesn't really feel now that West Ham were ever going to maybe realistically sack him, he's been under constant pressure. At certain points, it looked like they were, going to de- they were destined for relegation, has come out of that and then brought him to this showpiece. And yet even then, even within within all that, there is still the other side that feeds into this argument. For this... This competition was supposed to be... I mean, I actually... I, the, the idea behind this competition, I thought, was very noble in the first place, whatever about our sniffiness, in that it was set up, basically, for clubs that don't regularly compete in European football, get a taste of it. And really, that means a lot of leagues outside... I mean, if you want to go down, top five, top, top ten, top twenty. So there is actually a bigger debate to be had over whether clubs from England or some of the major leagues should be here in the first place especially now given one is in the final and that's not to take away from the day for West Ham fans it's just it's a separate discussion about this competition I mean as an, as an addition to that someone messaged me this morning saying it, it does say a lot about European football when the 15th best team in England can just kind of dispense with the fourth team in Holland now Holland has become one of the lesser leagues or sorry, it's it's not it's not one of the major leagues in the way it was in the seventies or even the eighties or even the nineties. Actually, given Ajax European champions, but that's because of where we are in European football because the size of the TV market is so important. But so I mean, there's a few kind of almost competing arguments there. But in terms of West Ham being in a European final, I wouldn't be sniffy about that at all. I think it's uh, and it, and it's something for the club and the fans to really relish, and it is an achievement in its own right. Yeah, sure is. As is Fulham guaranteeing themselves the top 10 finish in the Premier League on their return. Marco Silva has been shortlisted for the Premier League Manager of the Year award. It's another milestone in a coaching career that has been carefully planned and brilliantly executed. Welcome, Marco. We like to speak to coaches and managers about the cultures that produce them. So Pep will be talking to us about the Catalan culture, Dutch influence, etc. I spoke to Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta about the Basque culture. And Unai said something to me which really stuck with me. When I asked him what influenced him and what he admired about other coaching cultures, he said Portuguese coaches said they're fantastic. Why does Portugal produce so many top coaches? I find, okay, much more than just two reasons. First, it's is, is good to, to listen that from a, a top manager like Unai, the colleague that I really respect and I, I see him as a top manager. And um, when they recognize this quality in in a country like Portugal to produce managers is always important. Of course, for me, the managers, they don't have nationality and they don't have age. That <laughs> is the, the, the first thing that I can tell you. No, it doesn't matter the, 
if they are young or older, or if they are from one country or the other. But I understand what Unai wants to, to say with that. And many reasons I like to. One is uh, our tactical knowledge about the game. Mm -hmm. Since we, we start to, to work to become a, a manager, is something that uh, is always there, okay, to prepare your team in all the moments of the game, to be a strong team in tactical point of view, on the ball, off the ball, in all the moments of the, the game. The Portuguese manager, they have this capacity to prepare really well individually and collectively the, the, the players and the teams. This is one. Of course, it's something is cultural, it's something that we come from all the moments. And since we play football in Portugal as well, because sometimes you don't have the same tools than other clubs and in other, uh, different countries, financial point of view probably is not the, the strongest uh, championship in, in Europe as well, but uh, with the work and with the capacity to work with the tools you have in your hands, you have this capacity to prepare really well your teams. And the other one is the capacity to adapt for in a different circumstances as well. Okay, you can adapt in a different circumstances in a different countries because we show a, a great capacity to adapt for any country, any type of football as well. At the same time, gives us the capacity to have this strategic point of view for the, the games in a very good level. Mm. In many ways, you've got a typical background of a coach, you know, very good playing career, but outside the top level. And then you learned your trade at a relatively small club. What set you on your coaching career? What was the motivation to be a coach? I love the, the, the game and I love the preparation to the game. I love the, the work um, during the week to prepare. I was a football player at 28 years old, 26, 28 years old in that period. I started to really to, to try to understand why the coaches they ask me something. What is the reason for that? I can tell you with 28 years old, probably I have had already my two first degrees as I managed to complete it. That in that moment was clear something that I start to, to look for and to something that I try to understand why, why they ask me something, why I have to be in this position and not that position. And it's something that I start to learn from that moment and to prepare myself for the future. I, I will not tell you that with 26 years old, I wanted clear to be a manager, but it was something that was in my mind clear. And after it's 27, 28, when I started to, to go over 30 years old, I started really to think to be a manager. And that moment was important for me to start to prepare myself because I love, I love the game. I love everything that was involved in the game and I love the preparation. I, was, I love the week to prepare well my players for each match. Mm. At that time, what were the teams and the coaches who actually influenced you? Okay, I'll tell you two coaches. Of course, I um, I build my own path, and I like to I have my my own ideas, and of course, but you have always influence from something. Of course, I I took from each one of my coaches something that I took in that moment. They, they can be important for me in the future, and of course, I took always we took so always something from all the your experience as a football player for something that you can be as a as a manager, as a names or something. To manage that uh, as a player, of course, I haven't worked with them. But one, of course, is, is clear, that is Jose Mourinho. For all the, I think for all the Portuguese managers, when he, he came first time, I was, a, I was really, I was young, of course, I was a football player, but he came with something different in Portugal in that moment. Um, his approach, clear for each game. His communication was completely different in that period, when he appeared, in terms of communication for inside, for outside, with the press, was a clear, and of course, his winning mentality, what he, what he did in that time in FC Porto and after it Chelsea with Inter, his winning mentality was something that uh, 
always show for the Portuguese manager that it's something that is possible to do even if you go abroad. And the other one is Pep Guardiola, clear, because when I was young, we started to look for that, some dream teams that he have, they have had in, in Barcelona. That is something that all of us, we, we recognize as a, a top, top quality team and uh, always with a big manager and great manager behind. And was this, I would like to talk about these two names. Mm. Did you always watch a lot of English football and did you always have aspirations and hopes to actually work in, in England? When I became manager clear was a moment that I start to even myself to have extra lessons of English because my English was not at very good level and um, I remember when I was at, at the studio my first experience as a manager during the, the afternoons I started to got some English lessons because it was a clear target for me. First to go to go to work abroad and the English language is something that in any country you have to speak. And of course, as a, to become a Premier League manager, of course, was a clear target for me. It was something that I, I set as the main target for me in that, in that period. And was a moment that I have to tell you that was really difficult for any Portuguese manager to become Premier League manager. In that moment, I was the third one to come. It was Jose Mourinho because, as you know, he won some European competitions and did so fantastic in FC Porto when he came for a big club, and, and the other one was André Villas-Boas to come to Chelsea as well after uh, won the Europe League with FC Porto as well. And I was the third manager. In that moment, it was really tough to come. Of course, José played a big part on it, opened the doors for the Portuguese manager in that period. But of course, it was a, a clear target for me to come and to, to have this experience and to show myself and my quality in, at this level. How do you feel you've improved as a coach and a manager since arriving in England at Hull, what are the most important lessons that you've drawn from the individual clubs and maybe the, that you're putting into operation here at Fulham? I'm always improving. I'm, it's something that I demand from myself. Of course, um, when you first arrive, you have your own qualities, but uh, you have to adapt. And again, comes the adaptation and the quick adaptation again, that I think is something important in, in ourselves as a, as a Portuguese managers and as a people uh, as well. But of course, you, you start to understand as quick as you can the culture, not just the culture of the country, but the culture of the football as well. That is completely different, I have to tell you. That fantastic environment about around all the football matches that you, you feel here in Premier League, that is completely different from all the other countries, I'm 100% sure. That is such a special moment for everyone. And uh, I demand from myself, from the first day that I became manager, I demand every single day for me to improve. I demand from my staff, really, because they have to, to improve every single day as well and to keep improving our quality for ourselves and for our players every single day. We have to make them to believe really that we, this is the way, this is the process, and this is the main thing for me. And uh, if you ask me if I'm feeling better managed right now than the uh, first time I arrived in, in Hull, of course, yes, I have to be, because it's, the, it's the, something that I demand from me. Mm. What specific coaching lessons are you trying to put into operation here at Fulham? You've got a reputation. Your teams have a great work ethic and it seems that the speed and directness in transition is also a feature of your teams. What else? Clearly we, we, we showed this season that uh, everything what we have done last season in terms of uh, idea of the game, in terms of process and was our first big step to perform so well and to be successful this season. We haven't changed anything from last season to this season, in terms of approach to the game, in terms of building process as well. We keep playing in the same way, we keep approaching the, the games in the same way. Of course, some 
slightly different in some strategies as well. You cannot go for ATR to play. This is slightly things that you have to adjust, but in terms of process, in terms of idea, how we want to play, how we want to be always in the front, on the front foot, we haven't changed anything. I agree with you that my team, in terms of forecasting, is clear always there. The organization is clear always there. Okay, when the transition were really a tough team, even if you don't have a number nine, if you play with Mitrovic or with Carlos Vinicius, they are not the fastest players, mm. but you can create with the different players around them this capacity to arrive quick in, in the opposition side and to, to punish them. But we have a, a, a different thing as well. We, we want to be a team that built from the back. Our positional attack, we are always working to improve. And I think is, is being one of the biggest and the better steps for us, and we are clearly improving the situation. We want to build from the back, we want to have a clear idea how to arrive there, and I think we're still improving, and we're still showing that for our players, and the players there, they have been understanding that situation well. Mm. Your recruitment has been excellent. You seem to have recruited for experience, Premier League experience. But one player's come in, well, Polinia. He's been one of the signings of the season, hasn't he? Why is he so suited to the Premier League. Now, he came from Sporting, which is a club that obviously you know very well. Are there lessons there for a club like Fulham, looking at the way Sporting, you know, the great talent ID, talent development, is it a similar type of thing that you could do? It's different. Of course, João fits really well in Premier League. That is, is clear for me. It was clear in that moment when we, we start to, in a process, to sign him and to, because that I push so much our board to signing because was a uh, was a key player in our in our idea for this season. I knew Juan from from long time ago, and when I was a sporting um, manager, he, he was there as a young player, and I know him very well. And um, of course, he fits really well. His his capacity to to play in high intensity every time. The moment of our defensive transition and that reaction, Jean, is, is top, is really important for us. He keeps showing that, and it fits really well in this situation. Of course, we are playing in a different way than. He did last four or five seasons. He last four or five seasons play João playing a system with five at the back, just with two midfielders. We play completely different. We play four at the back, just with him as a six and two eights in front of him. He took time to adapt, but he did it really well. He settled really well in our club. Of course, in this club is something that the players normally they settle really well and quick because everyone will come really well. He's a familiar club and everyone will come really well, João. Of course, to have a, a Portuguese staff. And Portuguese manager help him uh, as well in the in this situation, but I agree with you about our recruitment was not just João. Of course, we tried to go for some experienced Premier League players because we knew always important for us to be successful this season. And with Leno, with William, with Isadiop, with Andreas Pereira, all these players, these players they can really help us. Shane Duffy, all these players they can really help us to be ready to answer straight away because the Premier League is going to start and we have to go. And after with some from abroad with a different knowledge about and the different background like like João, like Manor and and these players as well. And of course, it was one of the reasons why we are being so successful this season. Plus the platform that was here last season with the players that they did so well. Mm. It's been a strange season, hasn't it? Because of the World Cup and it's a unique managerial and coaching challenge because you've got to look at squad management probably a bit more than normal. How challenging and actually how much of a buzz how exciting is it to actually deal with a different challenge every week or maybe tuesday saturday or tuesday sunday it was a challenge moment for all of us it's the first time for for us the last um, since i'm manager it was the first time that i 
I have had a break in the middle of, of the season. If you are in different countries, for example, if you are in Germany or if you are in, in Russia or Poland or whatever, you have this break in the winter break. But for me, it's the first time as a manager. For Premier League, is, it is a, as well. So long break during that period. It was a challenge moment. But I have to say that we have adapted really well. We have adapted really well because we, we planned well the moment. We gave the, a small break for the players. At the same time, we have a, a good moment, even without six players that they were in the World Cup. We have a good moment in Portugal in a camping to prepare well that moment. And it was a moment that we have adjusted really well and we planned really well. Is there the, the, the reason why we started so strong in the boxing day and after we had the December, January and February really strong because I think we have prepared well, really well our players and it was a challenge moment, but it, it works really well for us. Mm. You know, you've spoken about targets. Well, finally, you had the private target of 42 points, which you've obviously surpassed. The new target is 53 points. How far are you in developing this group? This is essentially your first... Premier, obviously your first Premier League season, how long does it take to get a team playing in the way and with the personnel that you want? We are playing in the way we want. We are playing, of course, needs more takes more time because that is as more time as, uh, as we, we are going to be in, in this football club, more capacity we have to show to play in our, in our way. Uh, more capacity we have to show to sign players for our way as well. Of course, is first season, as you know, you just arrived and we, we didn't change many things because championship didn't give you the chance. We signed one or two, three players, but not many because we believed in that moment the structure was here, the platform was there inside. This season completely different. Of course, last summer we signed a big number of players. The, the target now is for us next season to don't sign so many, but to add really quality again. And the, the, the short number that we are going to sign, but really quality again. In terms of the way we are going to play, I think last season everyone saw and the, the way we wanted to play. We, we were champion in, in, in a very good style. Scoring more than 100 goals in championship is really, really tough. Even this season, I think we, we are showing that. The approach to the game is always the same. We try to be dominant on the ball. We try to to control the game on the ball is the way we play. We like, we like to build our attacks from the back, but at the same time, you are capable to mix our game if you have to go more direct for our striker as well. I think we have been showing the, the our quality. is a process, of course, step by step. The players, they understand better, they adapt better. We have to add something always as well, but I think we have been performing really well. Mm. Two points to finish, if I can. The first one is a characteristic of many coaches that I've spoken to, that they are very intense. They commit everything themselves to the job. You're no different. Yeah. How do you almost live with that intensity and the pressure? Can you actually take yourself away from football? It's difficult to take. It's yeah. difficult. I have to tell the most honest possible with you. Of course, I'm, I'm intense. I love my job. I know that is a job, but for us, it's much more than a job. Just I think we, I really love, I live for my... I can tell you that I live for my job and my family. That's it. And uh, from the um, early in the morning until the evening, I'm. I love to prepare everything and to be involved in everything and to to try to be as better as I as I can to make the club to to keep improving and my my players. And I'm I'm really intense off the pitch. I'm intense in every single day with my players here. I'm intense in the in the match because it's something that uh, I love to be. And this is difficult to switch off. In in this job, is difficult. I I believe that with with more experience, with more years, with everything more. I think with the time, you can get or not. I do, I'm not sure you can get, 
you can manage a little bit better your time. Of course, I have moments to enjoy with my staff, with my friends, as well as my players. But most of the times, the, the intensity is there and the, the, the love for the job is there. Yeah. So as a final point, what are your ambitions for yourself, for your team and for this club? It's the same. From this club, it's the same from the first day. It's to keep preparing this football club to be better and better and better and to prepare this football club to perform and to be competitive at the best level in Premier League. That is where we are right now. Of course, last season was clear to be champion and to get the promotion. And we got it in a very good start. And clear this season, day by day, I have to prepare not just my players. The players, of course, is, is clear for everyone. But this football club to be ready to be competitive at the level that you are playing for. And you know how, how it is difficult. This is clear for me. About our team is to keep seeing them to improve, to seeing... I want our, our fans and everyone that uh, sees Fulham Football Club playing recognize that is the, the Fulham with Marco Silva as a manager. That is really important for me. And the third one for my staff is the same for my players and for the football club. You have to be better every single day. You have to prepare better ourselves and our players to be competitive and to fight for the, the, the game. At the same time, not just to win football matches. I like to win. Everyone is here to win football matches. But I, I like to win seeing our team to perform in the way you prepare them to perform. Well, all the best and thank you for thank your time. You. Thank you very much. Well, John, he spoke almost there as if he was the coming man. Very clear-minded, another Pep disciple. Can you as- assess Guardiola's influence and that of Jose Mourinho on this generation of coaches? Because... You know, Marco was was very, very uh, obvious about his debt to them. Yeah, he was. He was fascinating. I thought it was a really interesting interview. And he's, you know, he's been around a a while now, isn't he? But we still probably refer to him as as a young manager. And I thought the interview came across so well and painted him in such a, a good light and a different way. And because... He's clearly taken elements of, and he refers to it, isn't he, sort of kind of the managerial greats that he's learned from, taken pieces from. He needed to work on his his language skills and that's improved. And then the other thing that really struck me in the conversation, which was fascinating, was that there's no doubt about it, I think he's changed personality-wise mm. in the last, say, what, three years particularly during his time at Fulham because he was listen I think in fairness right what you actually saw in public wasn't necessarily always the Marco Silva that other people saw behind the scenes at Everton when he could be quite light and jovial and okay but he certainly wasn't that in public and in front of the cameras or or behind a microphone shall we say but now he's also enabling the, the the point that you can see his true character. And I felt what shone through in the interview was a, a very intense manager, but perhaps a less intense personality. And I think that that's taken him a while to get there. But I think now that he is there, I think he, he's much, much better for it. Because at times in the past, he just became so so wrapped up in in his job and in his life and of course they all do but he just couldn't couldn't break out from that 
And actually, the first hint I saw of that was I remember sort of interviewing him after Fulham clinched promotion. It was just before the end of that season. And I thought, wow, OK, he's a little bit different, actually, seeing a slightly different side. But, Mike, I think the interview showed that, again, he's sort of kind of matured again and improved again. And I think he's a better, all round, more rounded individual as well as being that manager. And we could all see the promise, I think, from previous stints, which have earned him good jobs in the Premier League. But, you know, for whatever reason, it's not quite worked. Circumstances, his, him or whatever. And now it feels as if it's a culmination of his potential and promise together with a really happy marriage at Fulham, which is great to see because... I tell you what, it's lovely for someone who's sort of kind of covered Fulham for so many years and sort of watched them as a kid or whatever to actually see them in the top 10 again. Brilliant. What an achievement. Mm. What about the lessons, Migs, of Portuguese coaching in general? You know, there are other emerging coaches around. Marco spoke about adaptability because, you know, they don't have the money and the depth of squad to, to work with. That's a formative force isn't it yeah I thought, I thought that was very interesting as well as I quite like when you're speaking about intensity a bit or, or rather how much it can, management can consume you or can consume them uh, later on in the interview but yeah in terms of the formation and it, it's interesting because I think Marco as well represents the first generation a bit of a a bit of a change or a bit of an evolution in Portuguese coaches from that and it's interesting that in like in the way he so identifies with Pep Guardiola given I suppose, up until the last half decade, almost the dominant managerial rival, the most influential managerial rivalry in football was that between Guardiola and and Mourinho. And they were seen as, as, as you know, almost contrasting ideologies, polar opposites. And I, I suppose, I remember even when Marco Silva was coming through around, you know, 2015, 2016, the thinking was, obviously, because he's Portuguese, I mean, the lazy thinking really is that he'd identify more Mourinho. I think in the... As he spoke about in the interview, it shows how adaptable and he's pragmatic in in the truest sense of the world, taking different ideas. And and, and as regards that not being much money, I, I think that's that's absolutely the case. Uh, it's interesting. I remember previously speaking to um, in one of the European Championships, one of them, I had to do a similar piece on Portuguese coaches, and one of the big arguments way made that was because Portugal has or it has such a kind of um, they, they they used to be so quick to sack coaches. It, meant, it, it conditioned the situation where the automatic response from coaches was to be more protective, to basically not lose games. I think that's something that has evolved a lot. And actually, and, and, and clubs are taking a different approach there. And then that's seen in coaches like Silva, who represent an ex-school on for And another great lesson of his career, I suppose, is that I think probably because of managers like Mourinho and Guardiola, we can probably fall into the trap of thinking if someone doesn't have this kind of steady trajectory where it's success at one level, then success at the next level, then success at the next level up, there's a danger to kind of write them off. And look at the way Silva was spoken of after Everton. Whereas now, his work at Everton, seems given what's been happening at the club, has a very different light in it. Hmm. I did mention there, John, that he's one of the six candidates for manager of the year. The others, Roberto De Zerbi, Mikel Arteta, Unai Emery, Pep Guardiola and Eddie Howe. Out of that six, who would you choose? <laughs> if City win the treble, 
I do think I'd go Guardiola just because it's such a, a, a massive achievement. And, you know, we can debate all day about the kind of, you know, we've had that big debate, haven't we? And I still think it's, still think it's a remarkable achievement. I feel as if Eddie Howe's like really, has really kicked on from a place whereby they just, they were a bit tight defensively, hard to break down and not, not very interesting to, to, to actually really, finishing the season as a as a different team. So I think his evolution is, is great. Arteta has obviously done really well at Arsenal to kind of take them on when start of the season, their ambition was to finish fourth. De Zerbe, great, but, you know, Brighton is still a bit unpredictable. I mean, last night they lose 4-1 at Newcastle, having won 3-0 at Arsenal, which I have to say still represents what Brighton are a little bit at the moment. But I, th I think De Zerbe can get them into Europe and that's, some achievement yeah Emery since since taking charge in post World Cup wow the influence that he's had I think is great but I'd not one for like half a season if, if you like but yeah I, I'd yeah I think overall on balance I, I, I would go I would go Guardiola mm. what do you think Mix? yeah I mean just probably with the, the, the scale of the achievements needs to be recognized Emery's done very well but I think as Crossy said it's a bit too. I, I think it, it should be a full season. <sighs> to be honest, I mean, it does look different now because of um, because Arsenal won't win the title. But the scale of what Arteta's done, I actually don't think, can be discounted as well. It, it's 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 remarkable to be honest, given the level. It, it was something no one expected. But I, I actually think I, I know I've just said it. It should be a full season. But I think it just about qualifies, given it was a month. I, I think what Desarbi has done with Brighton is, is is incredible. For me, I'd actually I think within context, within, in terms of kind of if management is about getting the maximum out of the resources available, and given the, given how he's taken the club on as as part of their own longer process, and also because this is something that's been talked of in regards to Guardiola before, his influence in that he's actually started to to change the way the game is played a little bit. In the Premier League, and it's almost been—it's a—it's a real drastic innovation. I think I'd go to Zerbi. Mm. Well, I'd just like to sort of tie everything together. You know, we've discussed some pretty broad issues, very important, almost fundamental issues today. Five years ago, Luton and Coventry played each other in League Two. One of them will be playing in the Premier League next year. Each has had their problems. Both offer hope and reassurance to those of us who see football as something more than a business opportunity or a vehicle for the use of soft political power. I've not seen a better, more definitive performance than Manchester City's demolition of Real Madrid. It was beautiful, relentless, clever, and in its way, courageous. But, and there has to be a but, unfortunately, if City's elitist state-backed model is the future of football, count me out. While I get my tin helmet, just want to thank Miguel and John for keeping the faith and thank Marco Silva for revitalising another traditional club that has known hard times. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.